0: Hello, campus cronies! Welcome back to Campus Crime Chronicles. I'm your host, Dr. Turner, full time college administrator, part time college professor, but always a true crime addict. In every episode of this podcast, I take a deep dive into some sort of true crime that occurred on a school campus or a crime that's associated with a college or university in some way. For each episode, I rate the seriousness of the crime from 1 to 5 on my serious crime scale, with 1 being completely not serious, possibly even a little humorous from time to time, to 5 being very serious. This episode is rated a 5, and y'all, fair warning, some of this may be particularly hard to hear because it involves the murder of an entire family a husband and a wife, and their teenage daughter. In 2014, three members of a prominent newspaper publishing family in Duncan, Oklahoma, were shot to death inside their home. The one and only suspect, the family's 19-year-old son and brother, who was attending college at the University of Oklahoma, confessed to the triple murder the day after their bodies were discovered. This episode is titled, A Greedy Betrayal. So without further ado, Let's get started. October 13, 2014, just before 9 a.m., a woman by the name of Rose Marie Chavez arrived to her housekeeping job at the home of John and Joy Ruby in Duncan, Oklahoma. When she walked inside, expecting to start her day as she normally did, she soon realized that something was very, very wrong. As she stepped into the kitchen of the family's home, she found three members of the family lying on the floor, covered in blood. The three of them, 50-year-old John, 48-year-old Joy, better known as Tinker, and their 17-year-old daughter, Catherine, were dead. All three had been shot in the head or back. Rosemarie, shocked and confused and just absolutely beside herself, quickly dialed 911 and authorities soon arrived to secure the scene. According to the reporting of Rachel Snyder for the Norman Transcript, they found five 9mm Luger shell casings, three cell phones, a cell phone SD card, Five latent fingerprints, a bullet fragment and jacket on the living room floor, a bullet in the doorframe of the kitchen, and a partial copper bullet jacket in the kitchen wall. At first glance, though, the murders appeared to be the result of a robbery gone wrong. But that theory would quickly be dismissed after speaking to the only surviving member of the immediate family, 19-year-old Alan Ruby. So right off the bat, police's first order of business was to contact Alan Ruby to deliver the tragic news. Ruby was a freshman political science major attending the University of Oklahoma in Norman, about 75 miles away. The first person to get in touch with Ruby was actually Rose Marie's daughter, who reached him on his cell phone. She explained to him that there was an emergency and he needed to come to the family's home in Duncan as soon as possible. When he arrived, he was met by Duncan police officers who accompanied Ruby to the station so they could fill him in on the early stages of their investigation. According to Duncan Police Chief Danny Ford, Alan Ruby appeared distraught, and he was quote-unquote, obviously very distressed. He even talked with a chaplain for a good long while, according to Chief Ford. But as they began questioning him about where he had been and the last time he saw his family, Ford said quote, some of the timelines and things he was giving us were not matching up with information that we had, end quote. Which means Alan Ruby became a suspect almost immediately, and according to a People Magazine article, while police were questioning him, they remembered that he was actually suspected in a pending stolen check complaint. And yeah, I'll come back to that complaint later. But anyway, that was reason enough to hold him for further questioning until the next day. It was late the next evening on October 14th, 2014, that Alan Ruby confessed to murdering his parents and sister and he gave a detailed description of exactly what happened. According to a probable cause affidavit written by Detective John Byers, Ruby confessed to stealing one of his father's 9 millimeter pistols from his father's pickup truck with the intent to use the pistol to murder his family. On the night of Thursday, October 9th, 2014, Ruby went to his parents' home and found his mom standing in the kitchen. He shot her once, and she fell to the floor, but Ruby said she still showed signs of life so he shot her a second time which killed her instantly. Shortly after, Ruby's younger sister, 17-year-old Catherine, came inside from washing her vehicle. Ruby then shot her once after she entered the kitchen. Ruby said that one shot to his sister was fatal and she died immediately as she fell to the floor. He then waited in the home for about an hour anticipating his father's arrival at which point Ruby shot his father aiming for his head As soon as he walked through the entryway to the kitchen, his father fell to the floor, but he was able to utter one word, quote unquote, ouch. However, Ruby explained that at this point, his father still appeared to be alive. So Ruby shot him again, killing the third member of his family. Afterward, according to Ruby's confession, he took some items from the family's home and disposed of them in a local lake, which included the pistol he used to kill his family and recordings of video surveillance of the house. However, I'm not sure if he told investigators that to throw a wrench into their investigation or what, because according to a search warrant obtained by the Norman Transcript, police ended up finding these items at a storage unit in Duncan near the family's home. So Ruby lied about disposing of them, Instead, he just put them in a storage unit in effort to hide them. Um, you'd have been better off throwing them in the lake like you said you did, bruh. Anyway, police knew the gun they found in the storage unit was the gun used to kill the family because John Ruby, Alan's father, had actually reported the gun stolen from his truck early in the day on October 9th, the day the family was killed, which also matched Alan's account of him taking the gun from his father's truck. Plus, according to the search warrant, the serial number on the gun in the storage unit matched the serial number to the gun that was reported stolen. So the biggest question in all of this, of course, was why? What could possibly be a big enough motive for this child? Yes, I said child, even though he was 19, because that's what he is to me. But what could be a big enough motive for him to murder his entire immediate family? Well, according to the probable cause affidavit, Ruby said he killed his family because he had been cut off financially due to an excessive amount of spending. The OU Daily reported that Ruby further said he wanted to be the sole heir of his parents' wealth, particularly since they had recently cut him off completely. And, according to an article for People.com by Jeff Truesdell, Ruby additionally told investigators that he owed $3,000 to a loan shark and he believed that the murders would generate a large enough inheritance that he could pay off his mounting debt. You see, Ruby came from a prominent family in Duncan. His father was well known in the town because he was the publisher of the Marlow Review, a weekly newspaper with a circulation of about 3,500. Additionally, according to CBS News, John Ruby was the publisher of the Duncan Banner until 1997, when his family sold that newspaper and he was the vice president of the Oklahoma Newspaper Foundation Board of Trustees, which is part of the Oklahoma Press Association. Police Chief Danny Ford explained, quote, it's a prominent family, well-known and extremely well-liked. Grew up here, went to school here. John was a graduate of Duncan High School. The son graduated from Duncan. The daughter was a junior, I believe. Everybody knew the Rubies. Everybody, end quote. But in addition to being well-known in Duncan, Alan Ruby also considered himself very affluent since his family was part of such a prominent publishing empire. So, let me tell you just how affluent Alan Ruby considered himself to be. Remember when I mentioned that he was initially held in jail because of a stolen check complaint? Well, that complaint was actually connected to credit card fraud. According to the Tulsa World, Alan Ruby was charged in 2013 after his father discovered he had applied for credit cards in his grandmother's name without her permission or knowledge. Then, while Alan Ruby was backpacking in Europe, (laughs) okay, just kidding, I don't really know if he was backpacking or not, (laughs) but while he was in Europe on a trip, he racked up a whopping $5,000 in charges on those fraudulent credit cards, primarily in Paris. So that means that Ruby was on probation for the credit card fraud at the time of the murders, which is why they were able to hold him for questioning. Anyway, Alan Ruby's spending habits were out of control and it was no secret. His roommate from OU, Andrew Berman, even claimed that Ruby belonged to Shoppers Anonymous. Berman said, quote, he was very, very lavish. It was characteristic of him to just go out and buy things on a whim, end quote. And according to the reporting of Nolan Clay for The Oklahoman, Ruby described himself online as a shopaholic of many years. He even wrote on a blog that, quote, there is no bigger rush than swiping your credit card at a store register, end quote. So let's go through the timeline and what exactly Alan Ruby did on the days leading up to the murders, as well as the days following before Duncan police arrested him and charged him for the triple homicide. Because y'all, this is going to both blow your mind and make your blood boil in anger. According to Stevens County District Attorney Jason Hicks, approximately two days before the murders, Ruby traveled from Norman to Marlow, Oklahoma, specifically to the Marlow Review where his dad was working. He parked in an alley and proceeded to steal his dad's pistol from his dad's pickup truck. He then drove back to Norman and two days later on October 9th, He went back to Duncan and Marlow. So, side note, Marlow is just 11 miles north of Duncan, so those two towns are right there together. Then, on the morning of Thursday, October 9th, Ruby was pulled over by Duncan police for speeding, and he received three separate citations. But y'all, this dude gave them false information. (laughs) He said his name was Dakota Moore, but that he didn't have his driver's license on him at the moment. Well, when the officer checked the information Ruby provided, it came back valid. Dakota Moore was a real person with a real driver's license, and back in 2014, apparently, I guess the officer had no way of cross-referencing whether the person in the driver's seat was actually Dakota Moore or not, since Ruby didn't have the license on him. So, the officer issued him a citation for not possessing a driver's license, a citation for speeding 11 to 14 miles over the limit, and a third citation for no previous insurance or expired insurance. According to the OU Daily, Dakota Moore was a person who Ruby allegedly expressed strong dislike for, and Ruby had actually used that name numerous times before when he had previously been pulled over. So after this debacle on October 9th, Alan Ruby then went to his parents' house. He parked his vehicle behind their home in an alleyway went across the yard and then entered the house. Police believe that the murders occurred sometime between 7 and 9 PM on October 9th, 2014. But remember, Ruby's family wasn't discovered until several days later on October 13th when the housekeeper arrived at the home. So between October 9th and October 13th, Ruby was a free man. So free that he decided to jump in the car and go to Dallas, Texas that weekend. You see, that Saturday in Dallas, the OU Sooners were playing in the annual Red River Rivalry game against the Texas Longhorns. Ruby didn't attend the game, but he did check into the Ritz-Carlton Hotel with some of his college friends and they partied the weekend away. And it was all done on his parents' dime as their lifeless bodies lay in the house in which Alan Ruby grew up. Uh, Yeah, so I'll let y'all sit with that for a minute. feels like progress. The chime credit builder visa credit cards issued by Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA members of FDIC. Out of network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to chime.com disclosures for details. Anyway, his roommate, Andrew Berman, was one of the friends who traveled to Dallas and stayed in the hotel with Ruby. Upon discovering what Ruby did to his family, Berman said he was in pure shock and disbelief. He told CBS News, quote, we were laughing, making jokes, and he was hiding this, which is one of the scariest things. Nothing he ever did sent up any major red flags, end quote. Now, I have no idea how long Ruby and his friends stayed in Dallas, but when Ruby was summoned to the family's home in Duncan on Monday, October 13th, police noticed some odd behavior from him right away. CBS News reported that Ruby was documented as acting very nonchalant and even a bit cold and callous. DA Jason Hicks told CBS News, quote, I tend to think this is a very heinous and atrocious crime. This shows the fact that there was no remorse. This shows this was an evil person. Any tears that were shed were crocodile tears, end quote. So y'all know what happened next. They took him in for questioning, found out about the credit card fraud and probation, and held him until he confessed the next day on Tuesday, October 14th. At this point though, because he clearly violated his probation by crossing state lines and going to Dallas, a judge revoked his probation in December of 2014 and sentenced him to three years in prison and a $1,500 fine. He was also ordered to pay $5,980 in restitution. Following this, in prison is where Ruby remained while his defense team and prosecutors began working on the case of the triple homicide. Okay, so now let's fast forward to his preliminary hearing on June 16, 2015, just a few months later. Nolan Clay for The Oklahoman reported that Ruby could be seen weeping during the preliminary hearing the whole time. So, Clay reached out to Ruby for comment by writing him a letter and sending it to the state penitentiary where Ruby was being held. Not necessarily expecting a reply back because Ruby was pretty much instructed not to talk to any media, Clay was shocked when a letter came in the mail addressed to Clay from Alan Ruby. So I want to first read you the letter verbatim that Nolan Clay sent to Ruby, which was a typed letter. Then I want to read you Ruby's verbatim handwritten response because Clay was the only member of the media that Ruby has ever made any contact with. Clay's letter, dated June 25th, 2015, reads, Alan, I am a reporter for the Oklahoman, the daily newspaper in Oklahoma City. I was there for your preliminary hearing and watched you weep. Your sorrow that day made me think that you may welcome the death penalty, that you think you deserve it. So I'm asking if that is the case, do you think you should die? Do you truly feel sorrow? Or are these tears as the prosecutor suggested back in September, more of the crocodile variety? Also, why did you do it in the first place? Was your addiction to shopping that bad? What were you thinking as you killed your mom? What were you thinking as you waited for your sister to come in? What were you thinking as you waited for an hour for your dad with your mother and your sister already dead at your feet? How did you come up with such a plan in the first place? Did you honestly think you would get away with it? I ask these questions not to get a scoop. I've been a reporter plenty of years. I've had plenty of scoops. I just think these are things people want to know. I've included a stamped self-addressed envelope that may be against the rules. So the envelope may get confiscated and you may just have to write me back at the address above using your own stamp and envelope. If you do, please put something in there. Only you would know like the name of your dogs. So I know someone else didn't intercept this and is pretending to be you. Finally, I know your attorney, Mitch. He is a good guy and a fine lawyer. He would not want you to respond to me that stated it is your decision signed sincerely nolan clay then in a handwritten letter dated june 29, 2015 which was stuffed inside the stamped envelope provided by the oklahoman alan ruby wrote nolan thank you for reaching out for a comment there are a few things i don't want to comment on at this point in time but i will answer some of it i 100 percent welcome the death penalty what occurred is so horrible it is deserved It is so unspeakable. This has been by far the hardest thing I have ever done. The tears have all been real. I lost my entire family at once. How could they not be real? Not taking a shot at you, it's just hard to hear that somehow I am faking all of this. This didn't happen because of shopping. My shopping wasn't something I or my parents could not pay. They just thought my spending was out of control, and it was. To answer most of the rest, I didn't feel like myself that day. This was not something that seemed like a conceivable option. Why? I'm still trying to work it out, trying to figure all of this out. You're right. Mitch would be fuming if he knew I replied. That will be a fun meeting. He has been harping about me writing family and friends. Thanks for the option. Signed, Alan Ruby. So from the beginning, or I should say from the moment Ruby was detained and charged with the triple homicide, his defense team, including his court-appointed defense attorney, Mitch Solomon, pushed for a sentence of life in prison without the possibility of parole, you know, in place of the death penalty. However, according to DA Jason Hicks, prosecutors refused to agree to that, all the way up until Ruby's remaining living family members, extended family members, I should say, requested that he not be sentenced to death. But the only reason they made that request was because they just wanted it to be over. They did not want to be put through a whole death penalty trial and relive the tragedy over and over again for an extended period of time. Especially because D.A. Hicks said the trial would have lasted a minimum of three weeks, if not longer. And his appeals would have been drug out for a solid 10 to 15 years. So the family simply requested that he be sentenced so they could move on with their lives and try to heal. In a letter to D.A. Hicks, the family wrote, quote, The way it is at present, just about the time we get to a position where our lives are beginning to regain some semblance of order, something comes up and we start the process over again. We need this to end, end quote. In response, D.A. Hicks said, quote, I firmly believe that Alan Ruby was deserving of a sentence of death, but if his family doesn't want to sit through a trial, I will honor their position. Basically, he's going to prison, and no one is going to hear from him again," end quote. Alan Ruby was officially sentenced during a plea hearing on March 10, 2016. According to Nolan Clay's reporting for The Oklahoman, Ruby wept and trembled as he pleaded guilty to all three counts of first-degree murder. In the courtroom that day were relatives of his mother, Tinker Ruby, including her father, Richard Stein Jr. During the hearing, Richard said, quote, we feel we can close this chapter and get on with our lives as best we can, end quote. But then he looked toward his grandson and said, quote, My only comment to the boy is, may God have mercy on your soul, end quote. Not present in the courtroom that day was John Ruby's sister, Alison Ruby Whitaker, who couldn't bring herself to attend. However, she did write a heart-wrenching letter which said, in part, quote, I have known the killer since he was born and spent many holidays and vacation time as a family over the years. The killer was part of our family, but no more. He has destroyed that family by his evil and insidious acts. If there were ever a definition of evil, it would be the killer who took our family. I want him never to hurt another soul or to ever see him again." After hearing from the relatives during the plea hearing, the judge accepted Ruby's plea deal. Ultimately, he was sentenced to three consecutive life terms without the possibility of parole ever. As in, he will never ever be a free man again as long as he is living. Also, as part of the plea deal, Ruby agreed not to appeal, not to contact relatives, not to profit from his crimes through book or movie deals, and not to communicate with the media. Currently, Alan Ruby is 28 years old, He is serving his life sentence in an Oklahoma state prison. Okay, y'all, that officially brings us to the end of Chronicle 55, but as always, be sure to check out my social media where I post photos associated with each case and episode. You can find me at campus crime chronicles on both Facebook and Instagram, or you can follow my personal account on Instagram at Nicole Kaylin. That's K-A-L-Y-N-N. And be sure to check out my TikTok for some additional campus crime stories. Okay, well, that's all for today. So, Bye for now. Campus Crime Chronicles is researched, written, and recorded by me, Nicole Turner, and it's edited and produced by Giari Gasaway. Tune in again in two weeks for the next Chronicle.